Well, good morning, Grace Gospel Church. Uh, today, we are entering a section of scripture that's beloved by many. This is Hebrews chapter 11. And if there's one word that describes this chapter, that word is going to be faith. The authors now spend chapters describing deep theology about Jesus, talking about him as greater than the angels, as superior to, to Moses, as, as the true uh, heavenly tabernacle, as the, the, the person who is bringing forth a better covenant. And then we saw last week in chapter 10 that in light of all of that, there is a call to persevere. Uh, can you guys still hear me? I heard a, okay, we're good. Now, a call to persevere, when we think of that, sometimes our mind goes to, all right, persevere, I need to try harder. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to put, you know, put my back into this. I'm going to brute force this. It's not what the author of, of Hebrews says. The author of Hebrews shifts into a theme of faith. Faith is how the Christian perseveres in this life. Faith in that great theology that has been presented during this whole series. I mean, the author spent chapters and chapters talking about this. And now he, he calls to perseverance and then he shifts into faith because perseverance demands faith upon the theology that the author presented. This is the challenge that the author is, is presenting. He says, live like all of this theology is true because it is. This is totally connected to our ability to hold fast, friends. This is totally connected to perseverance. Faith is what will keep the genuine saint going. We are saved by faith, but we also persevere by faith. Amen? And if you try to persevere without faith, there's going to be some problems. And so today's title for the message is Hold Fast to Christ by Faith. Hold Fast to Christ by Faith. And friends, this, this message is important. Indeed, we too should exercise faith in the things that we're hearing here this morning and in every Sunday and every time we gather and open God's Word. Perpetual faith in Jesus Christ and His work. The, the Word of God we hear on Sunday should have tangible results of a faith throughout the week in which, which it enables us to persevere. It should motivate us to, to live a certain way in Christ's work, in light of Christ's work, living in the reality of this theology. I mean, I'm tired of sometimes hearing all this theology and then not acting upon it, not acting like it's true. Friends, faith is integral to the Christian life. You cannot just keep showing up on Sunday. We can't just keep, you know, hearing, hearing God's word and then not doing it. Here, bless, God wants us to be hearers and doers is the point. Any Christian is going to act and have a life of, of faith. And... We know, again, this idea has already sort of been alluded to. You know, he says to persevere in chapter 10, verse 36. You know, easier said than done. And then he gives us the solution in verse 39. He says, don't shrink back. Have faith. And again, what is the result of not getting this right? In Hebrews 10, 38, he quoted Habakkuk 2, 4. He says, my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Faith is so important in, in pleasing God. God is looking for faith. 
Therefore, we need to know deeply about this thing called faith. This isn't just a Christian lingo word. We need to dive into this and and understand it a, a little bit better. Now, thankfully, he shares with us through his word things about faith. And so now let's read the scriptures together and see what God wants to teach us this morning about faith. If you're able, please rise for the reading of God's word. We'll be reading Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 through 16. God's word says this, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for, being convinced of what we do not see. For by it the people of old received God's commendation. By faith we understand that... The worlds were set in order at God's command, so that the visible has its origin in the invisible. By faith, Abel offered God a greater sacrifice than Cain, and through his faith he was commended as righteous because God uh, commanded him or commended him for his offerings. And though his faith, and through his faith, he still speaks, though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken up, so that he did not see death. And he was not to be found because God took him up. For before his removal, he had been commended as having pleased God. Now without faith, it is impossible to please him. For the one who approaches God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, when he was warned about things not yet seen, with reverent regard, constructed an ark for deliverance of his family, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, and he went out without understanding where he was going. By faith, he lived as a foreigner in the promised land, as though it were a foreign country, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, who were fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward, he was looking forward to a city with firm foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even though Sarah herself was barren and he was too old, he received the ability to procreate because he regarded the one who had given the promise to be trustworthy. So in fact, children were fathered by one man, and this one as good as dead, like the number of stars in the sky and the innumerable grains of sand on the seashore. These all died in faith without receiving the things promised, but they saw them in the distance and welcomed them and acknowledged that they were strangers and foreigners on the earth. For those who speak in such a way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. In fact, if they had been thinking of land that they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they aspire to a better land that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. And Lord, we right now are just asking that you transform us by your word, God, that you make us holy by your word, that we would hear this, that we would understand it, and that we would live by it, God. Cause great faith to rise up in your church, Lord, that we may act upon your promises and that we may leave this place transformed by the power of your word. Lord, do this now for your own glory, we pray in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. So, so the scriptures indicate that God is always looking for and is pleased by faith alone. 
God is looking today, right now, in this room and far beyond, for those who, are, those who have this thing called faith. The fact of the matter is, wherever we are in life, if we're going to please God, faith is required. God, and God wants you to know that only by faith can you ever please him. If you are going to receive salvation, faith is required. If we're going to hold fast, if we're going to persevere, faith too is required. A deeper understanding of faith, it's only going to bolster your relationship with God. God is pleased with faith. So, so let's dive into this and, and see what the scripture says. Let's first begin by talking about the basics of faith. Now, uh, we do need to, to be careful here before we actually uh, get into this, to Scripture to remember the context surrounding this. All right? this, this is, again, deep theology that is to be trusted in in order to persevere. This is not man's plan. All right? This is not a, a, a faith that, that we can sort of uh, just really believe and create Lamborghinis. Okay, that's not this kind of faith. This is a faith in God's plan, a faith in what God is doing and what God has done in Christ. That is what is being referred here. He's not advocating even that this faith is going to lighten persecution on this side of eternity. This is a faith to persevere in light of chapter 10. Faith does not mean ease of life. It means trust in God through persecution through this life. And through all these examples to come in Hebrews 11, we'll see that that is the kind of faith that pleases God. It's not man's planning or squirming away from life's trouble, but it is faith in God's sure promises through the trouble. Faith is not, again, magic in which we can will things into existence. That's not faith. In fact, that's quite the opposite of faith. That sounds like you're trying to run the universe yourself and you might have a little control problem. All right, faith is believing and trusting in God's promises and in God's plan. And the context, again, shows that, that, that faith is going to be faith to press on, faith to persevere, faith in Christ to persevere. Again, now, this, this doesn't mean we don't petition God for, for anything and you know, we, we can't have thoughts or feelings or, or desires, but it does mean that God is to be the centerpiece of our faith and he must be trusted to run the universe ab above our own understanding. So it's faith in, in God, faith in God's ability and God's plan to come, to come through on his promises, faith in his sovereign will to bring a, that, that he in his great power is able to bring it about. God is the centerpiece. What pleases God is faith in God, in God's planning, in God's ability, in God's love, in God's promises. God is pleased with that kind of faith. That is the kind of faith he's looking for. And they are, again, to have faith in Christ's superiority. That was what was just described throughout Hebrews. Faith in the Father's plan. Faith in this eternal inheritance that has been promised them. Faith in Christ's purpose. Now, with, with that sort of clarification, now let's look at verse 1. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for, being convinced of what we do not see. 
Being sure of what you hope for, certain, convinced of what you do not see. Some translations will use the word uh, or the phrase substance of things hoped for. There's a real tangibleness to faith. Faith is not just a feeling. It's not just, just a feeling. It's a sure reality that is to be acted upon. One, one preacher put it this way. It, it is substantial confidence in the reality of something not yet realized. It is present substance to something that is future. Let me put it this way. Uh, and this isn't a perfect analogy, but I think it, it shows something. Uh, we all uh, will probably go home. Many of us have plans to go home. We have a planned lunch after service that we're pretty convinced that we're going to be eating now, the, the lunch isn't yet in existence, is it? The meal isn't prepared yet. There's no sandwich right in front of you that you're about to take a big bite into. It's, it's not yet present. Yet we anticipate it. And, and we are somewhat sure of it. And we act in accordance with that fact that, that we're going home and we're going to have lunch. Now, again, this is a temporal example. We all know even today's lunch isn't guaranteed according to James chapter 4. Again, not, not perfect, but it captures this point that we as humans can substantially act upon things that we anticipate. And the author is saying that all of this theology, all of this, this information about Jesus is to be acted upon and to be relied upon, that, that all of it is certain, and that there's nothing more certain that could be described. Thus, it needs to be treated, yes, even right now, Hebrews, as, as true during your persecution. And friends, this, the same is true of us. We need to, to act like the Bible is sure. We need to be sure of this theology in such a way where we begin to have faith and, and it affects us and we begin to act upon its truth. I've, I've been asking some people, you know, what's, what's something in the church that, you know, we can, we can maybe do better? And a relatively pervasive response is, is evangelizing, you know, sharing the gospel in our community. Friends, I say, I say this with the utmost love. If these writings in the Bible are a reality, the only thing that will result in obedience to, to evangelize is faith and anticipation that what is described in the Bible is true. And, and no organizational structure, no, no changing of, of oh, how, how we operate here as an organization is going to cause that to happen. You need to go before the Lord. You need to pray. We need to ask for faith, and we need to have faith on God's word. Again, the problem isn't our organizational structure or programs at church. The problem has to do with our faith in God's holy word. How many of us read about generosity and take God at his word? We can be sure of the theology in his word, even more sure than our lunch plans later. Nothing is more certain than God's word. We can have faith in, the, in this theology and act upon it with certainty, despite the contrary messages even that are coming through the world. Isaiah 4.8, it says, The grass withers, the flowers fade. The word, of the, God, uh, the word of God will stand forever. Psalms, the word of the Lord, the, it's flawless. It's true. This isn't just, again, Christian lingo. This is something that we need to act out. If you're going to put faith in something, friends, put it in God's word. We know the world doesn't provide what it promises. 
Yet we put faith in it so often. We put faith in money, we put faith in fame, and faith in our job and our social status. And none of these things are as sure as the theology found on your lap. None of it is as sure as that. The Jews who were losing property, who were being persecuted, needed to act in the reality of the future to come provided by Christ, their true high priest. The one who was destined to purchase them to an eternal salvation and inheritance. They needed to believe that more than ever. And friends, you and I need to do the same thing. Do we believe that promise? It's not... The promise for eternal inheritance, it's not just for them, it's for you and I. Christ is our great high priest. Do, you, do we believe that? Do we act like that's true in, in the face of persecution? I pray we do, church. Friends, we, we should do the same. Stop putting faith in things not guaranteed and believe with all sureness indeed that Christ is God, that he is indeed our high, high priest. You know, I'll probably use this phrase, maybe overuse it, but live like the gospel is true because it is. Live like the gospel is true because it is. Have a, have a surety to it, certainty to it with how you operate. This should result in perseverance and in faith. So, so that, that sort of faith stated, it's, it's sure, it's being convinced of something not yet seen. Now we see that faith results in God's commendation. Verse 2, for by it, that is faith, the people of old received God's commendation. And there's a whole slew of examples to come. But the point now is, is God looks favorably upon faith. And friends, God looking favorably upon man is quite important, don't you think? Think about it. If there's a God, a, a real God who created the universe, who is all-powerful, who is all-knowing, then this commendation means absolutely everything. This is what you were made for. This commendation, that, that union with, with God looking upon you and being, being approved. Don't we, don't we all want, well done, thy good and, uh, thy good and faithful servant? That's, that's a longing. That's something that's in us. This is, this is important for, for him to be pleased is, is literally everything. It's the only thing that matters in your life and in my life. It's more important than our physical success. It's more important than our job. It's more important than our social status. This is everything. And scripture says, by faith, the people of old received commendation. And over and over again, we see God is pleased with faith. The author supports this point later, saying Abel was commended in verse 4. Enoch was commended and, and pleased God in verse 5. Verse 6 carries this concept and goes as far as saying that without faith, it is impossible to please him. So not only is God pleased by faith, but it's impossible to please him without it. He's not pleased by, by our dead works. He's not pleased by our social status or our physical success. He's not pleased with our abilities. He's not even pleased with our mere intellectual knowledge about the Bible. God is unimpressed with many PhDs in theology. Very unimpressed. And certainly we should embrace the word correctly and understand it, yes. But God is not pleased with mere intellectual understanding, friends. He is looking for, he is pleased by faith. He is looking for doers of the word. Faith, he is only pleased by faith. And particularly here, we see that that faith is faith in the Son of God. Faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done. Nothing else will please him. 
And none of the individuals who received this letter, they had, they had nothing to offer God. Who could possibly give God something that he doesn't have? Instead, to get God's commendation, God is pleased with man acting in faith upon the promises which he himself spoke. That's what pleases God. That's what will please God in all of our lives. God is pleased with you acting like he is indeed God, who is powerful and good enough to follow through on what he said. That will always be a necessary element in pleasing God, and that is what the author is reinforcing. This old system of dead works, it's it's not going to work anymore. Faith in Christ is what pleases God. Friends, would you follow through with with faith in the ultimate promise we've been talking about so far, this whole series in Hebrews, that the promise that Christ is better, the promise that Christ is God and established this better covenant in his death and resurrection, that is the faith that we are to act upon. That is the faith that pleases God. The message does not change. That still applies to us. That is still the only thing that will please God. Would you go home and would you act like that's true? Would you act like it's true at work? Would you act like it's true in the store? This is what a pleasing life looks like. One that just believes this promise and acts in it and walks in it, living in the reality of the promise of Christ as a sure and certain thing in your life. To help further grasp the point, the author calls us to consider creation itself as an example uh, of, of, of faith. He says, by faith we understand that the worlds were set in order at God's command so that the visible has its origin in the invisible. And understanding cre- creation, it requires faith. It shows that faith acts upon this unseen reality. It's a sort of uh, an example sh- further deepening that point that he was, he was just making. Now, let me ask you something here. Why is he making this point? Well, let me ask you, raise your hand if any of you were around during the creation of the universe. No one saw it? No? <laughs> no, I, I, I figured as much. No one saw the creation of the universe with, with their eyes. Yet we know that God indeed created the universe. We act upon that reality, and we, we know that it's, that it's true. The answer, how do we do this? The answer is, is faith, through faith. Now, while the modern man might argue against God as, as creator, we know from Psalm 53 that such a man is a fool. Uh, creation is, is what, I think, what, ge- what theologians would call general revelation of who God is, right? The whole earth is orderly. Right? And it sort of points back to God intuitively. In, in Romans 1, I think it says that we have to suppress this truth, is, is how, it's, how it's described there. So, I mean, think about it. Think about the universe, the galaxy, the stars. Think about subatomic particles. Think about mountains and oceans. Think about beach sand and in each grain. Think about uh, the order of it, fractals, right? That repetition that goes from, from lower and higher, and you can see it. And, and think about all this order. This had to come from somewhere. Out of nothing, nothing comes, right? Every single thing that is visible was set in order and in perf- by a perfectly rational, non-physical God that, that we didn't see create the universe. The universe has its origin not in pre-existing matter, but rather a pre-existent God. Faith doesn't mean 
you know, again, that we have no reason to believe. I don't, I don't think that's, that's necessarily faith. Scripture says all of creation testifies to his glory. I think, again, creation points back to God. I stand firm that I, I, I am, I'm a firm believer that all of creation, again, points back to the fact that God created the universe. This is pretty fundamental. Uh, we see later the one who has faith must believe God exists. And I think despite these modern atheistic claims, um, I don't necessarily even think they're relevant here. Why? I, I mean, I probably already spent too much time addressing it. Well, why isn't that necessarily relevant to address? Because the audience who's receiving this are Jewish. Okay, the audience already believes this. The recipients were Jews. They, they assume, uh, so, so let's assume their understanding for a minute and interpret the passage. They, of course, could deeply resonate with this, this point, that God created the world. No good Jew would disagree with that. And, and they lived and they acted upon their understanding that God is an uncreated creator. And the author of Hebrews is saying this. Here's the point. It's this sort of faith. This is what faith looks like. This is indicative of the kind of faith that God is inviting them deeper into. In other words, if you experience this world that God spoke into existence and you have faith in that and you trust in, in that sort of general truth, then you must also have faith and trust in the, the truth that God also controls the future. If he created in the past and you can trust in that, you can trust him for certain as well in the future. And so he's, he's trying to bolster their faith in this sort of way. So, so in the same way, none of us we're alive to see God create. We believe it and we act upon its reality. A God and a God powerful enough again to create in the past is God powerful enough to create in the future. Nothing is too much for him. Would you this morning consider that? Take that step of, of acknowledging this universe, first acknowledging that it came from somewhere, that, that God created it, and then would you consider all the things the author said about Christ? Would you go back, listen to these messages, that he is the creator, that he is the savior, that he is the full revelation of God, that he's the mediator, the one who establishes a new covenant and invites us into a relationship? I pray that we would, we would have faith of, of, and all of these promises that, that have been explained. Now, from here, the author goes on to examples from the Old Testament figures who exhibited faith. We're going to look at the examples of faith. The first one we see... Now, we, I could have done a character study on each one of these. There's so much here. I, I highly encourage you, just check out some of these characters on your free time. Uh, but, but it starts with Abel. All right, by faith, Abel offered a greater sacrifice than Cain. Uh, look, look at the reverence and the acknowledgement that, that Abel had of God. He is offering a greater sacrifice according to our verse. We know in, in Genesis 4 he offered the firstborn of his flock. It was noted that in ancient systems, value animals were usually worth more than, than vegetables and grain. Faith is going to result in something. It's usually some kind of sacrifice here in time. It's, it's faith is, is not necessarily always easy. Faith will result in great sacrifice at times. But God commended him for his offerings. 
In, in this life, you might need to sacrifice something to obey the promise that God has spoken, to, to live in that reality. And if you sacrifice nothing, the question remains, do you really believe in the unseen reality to come, or are you clinging to things that you're trusting in over God's promises? You know, if you chase wealth, if you're unwilling to sacrifice these things, do you believe the promise, the promises of God regarding them? Faith will lead to great sacrifice. It'll also lead to commendation of righteousness. And through his faith, he was commended as righteous because God commended him for his offerings. And as we noted earlier, you know, this led to commendation. This, this is what pleased God. And we see again that Abel was commended as righteous. Righteousness came from faith that acted Righteousness came from faith that, that acted on the reality of who God was and who God is. And the results were commendation of righteousness, a stamp of approval by God as being morally right here. One is morally right not by doing, but by faith and trust in who God is and the reality of who he is. We also see that faith left a lasting testimony. It says, and through his faith, he still speaks, though he is dead. God honors this faith, then says that even after death, through faith, he still speaks. Faith has a lasting testimony. The story of Abel's sacrifice is forever in God's word, despite the fact that he was killed. He didn't win in this lifetime. The sacrifice, you know, it actually ended up leading to him being murdered. Yet, his testimony still speaks. And, and again, being murdered isn't typically how we think of a win, is it? Yet, even after his death, he speaks volumes. It will, it will always be in Genesis 4. It will always be inspired. Friends, for you and I as well, what we do in this life makes a difference. Your persevering in faith will result in a forever commendation by God. And it will speak volumes to those who, who see. When you hold your lips even, when that manager starts getting you mad at work, when you keep worshiping despite being told to stop, when you act in faith upon God's word, upon who he is and what he has said, there is approval from God that is forever in the fabric of God. Of, of reality for all eternity. It makes a huge difference. Faith has a lasting testimony. And what will you do? What will I do? Will we act on faith and receive this commendation of righteousness? Or will we act as if God is some kind of abstract dream and just continue to, to put him off as, as something that, that isn't the center of all of, all of reality and all of the universe? Next we see an example from, from Enoch says, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he did not see death. He was not to be found because God took him up. For before his removal, he had been commended as having pleased God. How did Enoch please God? Again, we see God is pleased with Enoch because of his faith. Now, I wanted to dive a little deeper and see, well, what did this look like? And I found something interesting in, in Genesis the story of Enoch is rather a short one, Genesis 5, essentially going over genealogy of Adam. 
And Enoch is mentioned in verses 21 through 24. Here's what it says. Enoch lived 65 years and fathered Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he fathered Methuselah. And he fathered other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with the Lord, and he was not, for God took him. Of all those mentioned in this chapter, in this genealogy, Enoch is the only one who this phrase, walked with the Lord, is is mentioned. I thought that was an interesting observation, mentioned twice. A special commendation for one who walks with the Lord. This is the idea of a continuous event, a continuous relational event with God. The flow of faithful living. And this is how Enoch lived. And friends, this is the kind of faith we should exhibit as well. Long-suffering. One that moves. One that walks with the Lord and is relational even. It it has longevity. Biblically speaking, it is a walk. Some people, oh, walk with the Lord. That sounds like cliche. No, it sounds like biblical language to me. It's not cliche. It's biblical language concerning one who is commended as pleasing God. It's it's not a one-and-done kind of faith. It's, it's, a, it's a journey by which we walk. It's not a, 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 a decision once, well, I'll believe in God now, and then you never act upon it at all in your life. It is a continuous walk, living in the reality of what you said you believed. One in which God is consistently adhered to in this life because you are a Christian. Uh, you know, you, you have faith that continues, faith that perseveres, faith, faith that walks, so to speak. We grow in faith. Faith is a perpetual, ongoing thing. It's one that goes beyond these walls on Sunday. It's it's a lifestyle of faith. It is one in which when I'm looking for a job, I'm considering what the Lord wants. I'm considering who the Lord is. Not just earthly things. It's one that takes seriously God through, through your life, through the various changes, circumstances. It says hundreds of years Enoch walked with the Lord. And this resulted in a commendation. And Enoch, through faith, pleased God, was taken up without dying. What a reward for Enoch. Faith takes seriously God and his rewards for those who who please him. Immediately after Enoch's story, Hebrews 11.6 comes, a famous verse, verse, Now without faith it is impossible to please him, for the one who approaches God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. If, if you are to have a sort of, uh, this sort of faith that is necessary, you need to believe in him and you need to believe his promises. You need to believe what he says about how he, he will treat those who have faith in him. If he promises a crown of eternal life for the one who perseveres, you better believe that it's true. You better live like it's true. You, you friends, once again, uh, you know, Enoch... And and others were not pleasing to God because of their fantastic abilities or financial status or having the biggest flock, right? God's not impressed with that. God was impressed and rewarded a life of faith, one that took God seriously at his word. That's what pleased him. One that, as talked about, acknowledged the reality of his existence in verse 3 and now in 6. And the other way, to to, uh, there, there is no other way to please him. Faith takes seriously the reality of God's existence and the rewards for those who seek him. Friends, again, as you endure in this life, as you walk with God, as you have faith in the reality of God's existence, I got 
Siri repeating what I'm saying over here on my watch. As you walk in that reality, as you please him, there comes with that a genuine reward from him. And you might not ever even see it in this lifetime per se, but it is a certain reality. Will you live by it? Do you believe that? Now notice it doesn't say seek the reward. Right? It says, seek God who does reward. Right? Don't, don't use God as the magic genie again. Seek him, acknowledge him, and a byproduct of that is, is, is reward. Okay? However, nonetheless, there is a reward for those who seek him, says the scripture. Our God will not hold back generosity for those who put him first and for those who account for him in faith through this lifetime by the way they act. Any bit of persecution we face will be met with magnificent glory to come. This is certain. Paul writes in Romans 8, I consider our present sufferings are not even comparable to the glory to come. He will reward those who put faith in him. Seek him in faith. Seek and obey him now. Really, in, in, in space-time, at home, today, he will be pleased with you. And, and the very act of your faith will not go unrewarded. He is sure to reward those who put their faith in him. Next, we see the example of Noah. By faith, Noah, when he was warned about things not yet seen, with reverent regard, constructed the ark for deliverance of his family. Through faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. Faith obeys God and condemns the world. Noah, in faith, built the ark against the earthly wisdom of this world. Having faith in God is going to mean that we go against this world's system. He gave judgment against. That's what it means there when he condemned the world. He, he gave judgment against the world and chose to heed the warning that God had spoken to him. When the world tells you that you're stupid for doing the right thing, when the world tells you, hey, just cheat on your taxes, no one's going to know. Right? When the world tells you that you should hoard your money, Instead of being generous. When the world tells you sexual sin is okay. You Christian are to condemn that judgment. And heed what has been spoken in God's certain word. That's what it means to live by faith. Will you do that? Will you reject the, the, the earthly wisdom. And embrace what God has spoken. And again look at the results of faith in action. He built the ark. And his family and in him were saved. We also see that faith results in becoming an heir of righteousness. He inherited something grand. He inherited righteousness. He became an heir of blessings associated with righteousness according to his faith. Faith results, again, in inheriting something. And in Jewish culture, this was a pretty big deal to be an inheritor of something, to be that firstborn who received something was, was a pretty big deal. And then here's the message. Righteousness, that inheritance of righteousness being, being proclaimed as, as right in the eyes of God came through faith. The Greek actually uh, calls it uh, the faith of righteousness. Meaning the righteousness came directly from the faith. Not from the works, but from the faith in God. From believing the warning. 
Just, just as Abel, again, received his commendation of righteousness through faith, likewise Noah has this faith of righteousness, a faith that made things as it ought, that made things right. Again, he's writing to Jews, a works righteousness system was very prevalent in Judaism. Now the author is really reinforcing this idea, no work is going to make you righteous. It is faith in God that will make you righteous. And it is what God has said, again, chapters of theology about Jesus, about this better covenant. Righteousness comes by faith, not by works of the law, but a trust in the reality of what the author is trying to convey and explain. Again, that context, faith in the new way that God has spoken, he opens up in in chapter 1. Faith in Jesus, faith in a new work that has already been done. That is where righteousness comes from. That That is what will make us righteous. Again, some wanted to retreat back into the land of dead works. Don't go back there. Rely on Christ. Practice the gospel. Hope in that promise every single day right up until death believe it. And friends, for some of us, you know, we sin, we feel bad about ourselves, and then we wallow and then spiral into depression and then cover ourselves and pretend it doesn't happen and, you know, in our weird attempt to try to please God. No, no, no. God is pleased by faith in Christ. He is pleased by faith in Christ. Rehearse the gospel to yourself. Don't be distracted from the gospel. Faith in Jesus, the great high priest, that's what makes you righteous. That can be some of what the author is trying to reinforce here through this example and by saying that he is an heir of righteousness. He's reinforcing that point. Next, we see the example of Abraham. Faith trusts and obeys God for the promise. This is by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place he would later receive as an inheritance, and he went out without understanding where he was going. Remember remember Abraham? We did a whole study on him. He received a promise from God. God spoke to him, calling him to a land that was promised for him and told him that he would have children as numerous as the stars. And look, indeed, God God said it. It was a sure promise. Yet Abraham needed to obey and trust in it. Abraham needed to act in it. It wasn't always clear. It says he didn't even know where he was going in our verse. But what he did know was simple. If God said it, it must be true. I must obey. It is a sure thing. Again, the idea of walking in in faith and believing in what God has has spoken. It will result not, not always in us knowing the fine details, but trusting God nonetheless. You don't need, and I'm guilty of this. You know, I like all the details, all the time. We're not going to get them. Do you believe the truth God has spoken? Do you believe that he has the details worked out? Because he does. It says we're to be like like children to enter the kingdom of heaven, dependent. He is the one who works out the details. And we can trust that he will do so if if he makes a promise. If he says it in his word, we can trust it. Faith, remember, has this element of invisibility Things not yet seen. Abraham didn't see the full picture, but he banked on the promise anyway. 
By faith, he lived as a foreigner in the promised land as though it were a foreign country living in tents with Isaac and Jacob who were fellow heirs of the same promise. You know, why did he subject himself to this? Why did he leave his comfort and his land? Why did he move away? Why did he live in a foreign land despite, despite it being the land promised to him? Why did he live as a foreigner? You know, it was supposed to be his. God, God said it. So, so what does he do? He starts living in, in the promise of God even before the reality is there. This is trusting and obeying. Again, this isn't willing into existence what Abraham wanted. It wasn't even necessarily easy. We read and know all about Abraham and the various struggles he had in trying to live out this promise. There's a lot of bumps in the road. He's seen as a foreigner, living as a foreigner. However, Abraham had faith in God's plan and trusted and obeyed that God knew what he was doing. God knows what he's doing in your life. Though there's bumps in the road right now, God is, God is aware of it. Don't give up. Please believe that he will come through with what he said. And verse 10 tells us what kept Abraham going through his journey of troubles. What, what, what kept him going? It says, For he was looking forward to a city with firm foundations whose architect and builder is God. He was living in tents, but dreaming of a firm foundation. Hoping in a firm foundation. Hoping in what God said he would build for him. And it is something firm, something permanent. He was looking forward to a promise, looking forward to a better future that was guaranteed to him by God. Again, similarly, friends, through, through all this life, we need to continue to act in the promises of God. We need to act knowing we are promised a future. When life gets hard, when we're, when we're struggling, we find ourselves you know, just in a, in a pit, in this journey of faith, motivate yourself again to look forward to the promise. Christians are future-oriented people. Look forward to the sure thing he is doing. Even when it means we live in lack, living as a foreigner, in, in, in land that is supposed to be ours, and in, in intense as a foreigner. The, sure, the foundation is sure. It is firm. It will be built. Look forward to that. And, 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 and to dwelling with God. This is a motivation for the Hebrews to live proudly and boldly in the tent as they are persecuted. To believe Christ is indeed the Messiah and the great high priest. To know that there is a secure future in Christ, even in spite of the trials. Moreover, to trust even in this suffering, and even if it takes a turn for the worse, that God can do humanly impossible things. And verse 11 affirms such, this very thing. It says, By faith, even though Sarah herself was barren and he was too old, he received the ability to procreate because he regarded the one who had given the promise to be trustworthy. The promise of God always, always, always comes about, even when there is no human way, even when we can't brute force it the way we want, he'll bring it about. Remember, this is the being, again, who created from nothing. He can do things. He can make that future sure. He will follow through on his promise. Friends, believe today that he is trustworthy. This is the God we serve. He will come through on his word. Verse, verse 12 affirms this as well. Gee, 1151 already. 
I did, I did say that um, the word of God is more sure than lunch, didn't I? Uh, verse, verse 12. So in fact, God, uh, and so in fact, children were fathered by one man, and this one as good as dead, like the number of stars in the sky and like the innumerable grains of sand on the seashore. And any Jewish listener would know this language. This is the promise. This is the covenantal language spoken to Abraham in the covenant that God had made with him. And so, and so despite his age, despite Sarah's age, despite having no ability, despite being as good as dead, according to the text, God abundantly blessed. God doesn't bless us on the basis of what we're able to do. He blesses us on the basis of his own promise and word. Friend, if you believe in Jesus, your future is certain blessing despite what we do in this life, despite our failures. He is that good to us. And the children were a huge blessing. Part, part of, you know... This was, this was part of that patriarchal world. This was about as good as it gets back then. The blessing for Abraham was, was as good as it gets, and God blessed him with it, not on his own ability, but in what he had promised him. Indeed, he will bless, and he has promised for us an eternal inheritance for those who put faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. He promised eternity with him. Though we cannot see it now, it is a sure thing. Take up faith. Believe that. Last we see the hope and testimony of faith. All these died in faith without receiving the things promised, but they saw them in the distance and welcomed them. Now, as these Old Testament figures die, they didn't really see the full extent of of the promise. The Scripture says that they died without receiving the, the promise. Yet, even in their death, they continued to hope in God's promises, right up until their death, leading to their death, in their death, they saw the promises in the distance and welcomed them. This is a strong idea. This isn't an A-maybe mindset, right? This is, I believe this, even in death, that God is faithful to come through. An embracing, a welcoming of the promise. Substance of things hoped for, yet not seen. Though they died... They still had had faith. They were still 100% sure that God's word was good. They died in faith. Friends, I don't know about you, but when I go, I want to go out in this kind of certain way. As as death becomes a, a reality, I want the reality of God's promises to be even more certain than that. Death cannot stop his promises. He, death cannot stop him from blessing his children and coming through on his word. This is the sort of faith a martyr has, one that believes something so strongly, even in death, they will bank everything on the promise. They believe God's word so much that, that they, in their mind, death isn't even an obstacle. Ah, oh, whoop-de-doo, death. <laughs> it's certain compared to God's word. When God, God is faithful to keep his promise, uh, to, to all the Old Testament saints, to us as well, Friends, we have a hope in Christ, something that death cannot even prevent. You know, let them persecute us. Let them take our houses. Let them throw us into a pit of lions. Let them burn us at the stake if it comes down to it. Don't don't look to do that. That's just silly. But if it comes down to it, you know, I believe that one day God will resurrect our bodies. The promise is sure. 
The promise is sure, and I am certain that we will see that promise. Brothers and sisters, don't be deterred by persecution. Focus on eternity. They acknowledge they were strangers and, and foreigners on earth. For those who speak in such a way, make it clear they are seeking a homeland. Those in these examples acknowledge they were strangers on this earth. This wasn't their true home. They weren't going to put their faith in worldly things and earthly success. And likewise, friends, this earth, America, your house, your job, your status, your wealth, your education, all of these things, this isn't your true home. You're a foreigner as well. In a sense, we are visiting, seeking our homeland. The heavenly homeland promised for us. The homeland, the kingdom of heaven, it is the best and greatest homeland, one worth selling everything for, one worth putting faith in, and one worth our total focus and attention for the entire span of our life, of our existence. Faith isn't distracted by lesser things. It says, in fact, had they been thinking about the land they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. The object of faith, the hope we have in Christ, should so occupy our minds that we don't have the opportunity to return to the things of this world. It's not as appealing to us. The Jewish audience should be so thrilled and overcome with the gospel and with all this great theology that has just been presented to them that the whole idea of going back seems silly. And that should be how we live our lives day, day by day. Remind yourself of the beauty of the gospel daily. It never gets old. That Christ is our high priest. We should, and as we ponder these things, we shouldn't even consider returning. If I should ever be distracted from, from the kingdom of God, from the true homeland, that, that's silly. Let all of that rot. The ultimate focus should be Christ and the gospel, the ultimate revelation of God, the center of the universe forever. By the way, that's what it will be like in heaven. Christ is not getting old in heaven. Why? He shouldn't get old now. Right? He should always be our focus. And again, remember the, the audience, that temptation to go back to Judaism. He is trying to occupy their minds with heavenly truth so they don't consider going back. We should, we should do the same thing. Lastly, faith longs for heaven. But as it is, they aspire a better land, a heavenly one. Faith, again, is not faith on this side of life. We are just visitors, it says. We belong somewhere else. Don't make your home here. Don't get comfortable here. This, this, this side of life, this is the battleground of faith. One in which we pursue first the kingdom of, of, of heaven. But live, live in that reality. Live in the reality of the kingdom that is certain the things that were promised. And if you trust Christ's work on the cross, you belong to that heavenly kingdom. It's a 100% guarantee, a 100% sure thing. Let that be the focus of your mind. Let that occupy your mind. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Again, for those whose faithfulness shrinks, or for those whose faithlessness shrinks back from faith and settles for less, they forfeit this great eternal blessing that God has for them. But for those who have a faith, who act in faith, there is a certain future, a sure city prepared. He is pleased. And right now, in light of this reality, I ask, what will you do? Will we just go home again? Will we continue to compromise when persecution closes in? Or will we live in the reality of this faith 
when we evangelize our loved ones in light of this absolute truth and stand firm on what God has spoken, when we share the love of Christ with those we encounter today uh, throughout, the, throughout the week at work or at the store, are we living with a heavenly focus or with an earthly focus? I pray we have that heavenly focus, that faith in the sure reality purchased for us in Christ. I pray we long for for, for heaven in faith, since heaven is indeed a certain reality for those who believe in Jesus. Let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this word. God, we pray in accordance with, with your will that you would cause many to have faith in you. Lord, that people in this room would repent and believe that Jesus is God and paid the price for their sins on the cross and rose three days later. Father, would you cause those who say they believe to to live in this reality daily, to live as forgiven children, heaven-bound lives. By grace, we have been saved through faith, not our own doing. Thank you, Jesus, for your work. God bless us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.